Thanks so much, team. I feel like I need a moment. Yeah. That wasn't that good. It's our privilege today to be uh, bringing the word. We're going to do it jointly, so uh, you get two for the price of one today. Lots of love to bargain. Lots of love to bargain. (laughs) And we are in this identity campaign. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, do not worry. It's all self-explanatory, the message. There's no follow-on from the previous weeks. We've been sitting in this whole subject, this theme. We call it a campaign, not a series of identity. And the reason we call it a campaign is we believe when we speak and when we preach, whether that's myself, Becky, Roy, or anyone really, it's not just to tickle our ears for 20 or 30 minutes. It's a call to action. You see, when you think of campaign, you think of a rallying together to do something. So when we preach and when we teach, it's not just to fill, uh, you know, as I say, a 20, 30 minute gap. It's in the hope that when we leave this building, the things that we've heard isn't just from Mike or isn't just from Becky, that in amidst the language and the things that we've prepared that God would speak. And as we are looking at this whole massive subject of identity, we've really felt God speak to us through our messages. And when we were planning out the campaign, we thought there's going to be two messages where we're going to sit and do them together. And so today is one of those messages. And if you are a note taker, the title of our message today is simply, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And oftentimes when I'm preaching, the illustrations I use and the metaphor I get isn't always from the Bible. Sometimes it's just from TV. We looked a few weeks ago at Air Hunters and and I just really felt God speak to me through that that program really that plays on BBC and this morning as we were thinking and preparing for this who do you think you are another TV program came to mind do you know that God can speak through and use anything whether it's a pumpkin a bible a TV program and if you don't know what who do you think you are is maybe you're not familiar with it the premise of the show is that they would take a celebrity someone well known like Davina McCall or Anton Deck And they would search and seek through history, looking at their lineage and ancestry. Recently, my younger brother has done this for my family through the Nichols line. And actually, my granddad and my nana here this morning, they were part of that family tree. We navigated all the way back. And this is just a fascinating program. It sounds like a waste of an hour looking at someone else's family tree. But these TV personalities who we know through game shows and hosting and TV quizzes, you can see the emotion that is drawn in looking back through names, through history, through people they've never, never met. They've found all these stories and these situations that have brought them to this place where they are who they are. And you see, as followers of Jesus, our history isn't just steeped in our ancestry. We believe our history and indeed our present and our future is absolutely saturated and steeped in who Jesus is. And identity, I think, is a massive, massive thing in our culture today. Asking the question, who do you think you are? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? It's so prevalent all over our social media channels, all over our TV sets, but it's not a new phenomenon. Humanity, all the way back with the great philosophers, you think of Plato and Socrates, they were asking these questions, why am I here and who am I? And for us as a church, I believe we get a little bit of a head start on the rest of humanity. I believe when we come to know Jesus, it tells us so much of who we are, but not only who we are, also who we are to become. And as we are looking today at who do you think you are, we just really conversationally want to look at three factors that make up the fabric of who we are as believers in Jesus. As followers of Christ, who are we? So the three keys we're going to dive into 
this morning and ask to remember, sorry, as we ask ourselves, who am I? Becky's going to kick us off looking at what it means to be a person who pleases him. You know, there's, there's many things that make up the fabric of who we are. And, you know, those things are okay. And when we look back into our family history and we explore things and we find out things, it's, sometimes it's really honouring. I think on those programmes when people find out that their great-great-granddad or something was some sort of hero um, in the olden days, it makes you feel pride. I mean, no-one wants to go into one of those shows and find out that their ancestry were mass murderers or something. And that did happen. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, like, for, like you were mentioning about your family history um, my grandpa was a really keen and good gardener so for some reason I just think I'm a great gardener but I'm not I'm not a green finger at all but I still feel like I am because you know sometimes you you just carry on and you feel like you've got a bit of an inheritance over you and you kind of feel a confidence sometimes when something runs through your family I've got some really rich gypsy roots in my family and so for some reason I think I'm a boxer because a lot of the gypsies are into the boxing and so I'm all over the fights when Fury's playing at half one in the morning finding youtube channels to stream the fury Fire. and it feels very out of character but i just i feel like i'm like it's in my blood i have to be involved and i'm like but it's even it feels like it's against my christianity for people to be fighting but it's just something in me that like i feel like i can identify and i just get fascinated with all of that stuff and um it's just you know all that stuff isn't always bad either so when we're talking today about you know who do you think you are taking no and finding honour in some of the things that make up who you are here on earth is absolutely fine. I love seeing the family come out today. I love it when we gather as family as well. Those things are great, but we really do want to highlight the things that we really want to take, take centre stage when we are asking, who do you think you are? Because you know the enemy can sometimes come along and use that question against you. Mm. Well, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are going to church after what you did this week? Who do you think you are to go in confidence and speak so freely? Who do you think you are? And I believe there's three things we're going to equip you with today that are going to help you hit back whenever those questions come to life. So when, you know, I get attacked... I'll be able to rise up and say, who do I think I am? I am Rebecca Nichols. I am a child of the King and I'm walking in authority and I will get up and speak because I speak with the Lord's authority and I have the word of truth that is arming me up and I will go into work and I will be a blessing even if I woke up grumpy because I've got the Holy Spirit in me and I'm just going to let it activate for a minute. That's who I think I am. Who do you think you are? Go out. Get out of here. And so the first thing that I want you to remember is this. Number one, you are a person that pleases the Lord. You are a person that brings pleasure to the almighty, magnificent God. You know, when we brought Theodora out here, you can see that she just brings us all pleasure when we look at her. She doesn't have to do anything. The moment that she was conceived, even before her conception, the thought of her was pleasing. It brought pleasure. And before you were even conceived, before you were even an idea on this earth, you brought the Lord pleasure. Even at the thought of you, you please the king. You can just sit there. You don't have to move another inch in your life and you would still bring pleasure to our king 
It has to be true because, you know, there's some people on this earth that can't physically move. They don't physically have that privilege to move. Some people are confined to wheelchairs. Some, things are, some people are confined to not being able to speak. Some people are not able to hear. Some people are not able to walk out physically a purpose, what would look like a purpose. But, you know, you might not have to say anything again or move a muscle and the Lord will still be pleased with you. And you know what I just think takes him over the edge with pleasure is when you look to him. You see, Theodora, when she looked at me and when she looks at the worship team, when she looks at her mom and dad and she gives that smile, it takes you into like an overwhelming, oh, isn't this amazing? And I think God does that sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't need you to move. He's really pleased, but oh my goodness, when you look at him and you look to him and you're like, Father... I need you, Father, pick me up. You know, there's nothing more wonderful than when a child goes, hey, I want you (laughs) to pick me up. And it says this in Revelation. I want to read it to you. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and they exist Because you created what you pleased. You please the Lord. Who do you think you are? You are a person that pleases the Lord. I remember Roy Turner, who is one of the awesome speakers in our church, one of our teachers, and he said in one of our last campaigns, he was talking about creation. When God made things, he said it was good. And on the second day, he made something, he said it was good. But when he got to you, when he got to the people, He said it was very good. And when he got to woman, he went, whoa. (laughs) So we got our name, ladies. Whoa, man. (laughs) And I want to tell you this story. And Mark was talking about God speaking to you through TV. And if you've listened to me before, you know the Lord does speak to me through TV. It's like sometimes he doesn't have any of the choice. God bless him. But I remember watching this famous film called Toy Story. There's a couple of them, but it's the first movie. If you've never seen Toy Story, raise your hand. Let's pray for you. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, you must go see it. It's the best Pixar Disney movie ever. But in Toy Story, there is this character called Buzz Lightyear. And he is a space ranger. He's the shorter one here. He's the space ranger. Woody is the cowboy. And there's a big birthday party in Andy's room, in Andy's house. Andy's the kid that these these, um, toys belong to. And every time there's a birthday, all of the toys get a little bit anxious because it's new toys, it's new blood, it's new competition. And when you're a toy, your purpose is to get played with. You want to bring the most pleasure to the, t- the, to the kid that owns you. You don't want to be left in a box or left on a dusty shelf. And when Buzz Lightyear turns up at the birthday party, everyone is like, "Woo! it's a space ranger. This is amazing. And you know who knew it the most? Buzz Lightyear. He absolutely reveled in the fact that he was a space ranger and he really, really believed that he was an astronaut. And he put so much of his passion, so much of his his identity into the character and to the kind of role he was supposed to play in the children's bedroom. And it came this moment where Buzz was dropped down the stairs. He thought he could fly and he fell and he smashed the floor and his shoulder broke off because he's plastic. And it was in this moment that then he got really depressed because he realised for the first time, I'm not actually a space ranger. 
and I can't actually fly. You see, what was happening here is Buzz Lightyear had put all of his efforts and all of his identity in what it was that he was called to do instead of who he was called to. I talked about this a little bit in my last sermon when I talked about keeping the cause on the king, keeping your cause focused on the king and not just what you're called to do for the king. And Woody and all the other toys, they get it and they say to Buzz, hey Buzz, we are all here for Andy. We are Andy's toys. Hey, look at our boot. We've got written on our shoe, on the sole of our shoe, Andy. We, he owns us and we're here to bring him pleasure. We're here for Andy's pleasure. We're here for him to have a good time. Whether he plays with us or not, it's not about us. We're just here for him. And when he starts to understand that, a whole brand new meaning comes to his life. And it's just like that for you and I. We are here for the King. We are here for the Lord. Before we're here for what we can do and before we're here for what we are purposely to do, which is important and we'll talk about that next, before any of that, we must remember that the priority is that first, in the beginning, we were made because it just brought him pleasure, because it pleased him. Let's just bask in that for a moment. Thank you, God. We thank you, God. Before we were even conceived in our mother's wombs, the idea of us brought you pleasure. We thank you, God, that we can please you and we pray that we will be a people that will first primarily be here to worship and praise you and to find pleasure back in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mike's going to take us on to point two. Second thing. We are a people and you are a person with a plan. I was brought up in church. You've heard this before. Um, all of my sort of kid years, early teenage years, I was brought up in church. And then I discovered that my friends didn't have to go to church on Sunday. And the last thing I wanted to do in that moment is instead of go to church, I want to go and play football, be with my friends. And it took me out of church for three or four years. And I had this amazing moment in a nightclub, actually, that really drew me back to God. I had what I would call a revelation moment of who God is. And in that moment, I found myself opening a Bible called Bible Bingo. Just open it up and see what it lands on. And there's this one verse that jumped out on me, Jeremiah 29, 11. And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. And what I later found out is every single Christian in the world has claimed this verse as their verse. And you look at the context of the verse, and the worst thing to do is take a verse out of context, out of the surrounding verses. And I discovered in those moments that the Bible wasn't written to me. You see, when I looked at Jeremiah, the, the book was written for a purpose and to a people thousands of years ago. However, that doesn't mean the Bible wasn't written for me. See, it wasn't written to me, but it was written for me. The Bible says of itself, you've heard me quote this verse loads of times, Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is alive and it is active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts between bone and marrow, even between soul and spirit. The Bible is the only book in the world that will read you back. And see, when I read that that verse, I was in a, a place where I had no plan. 
I was living day to day, paycheck to paycheck. I was working in the week to go out the weekend with my friends. I had no plan. I had no purpose. And this revelation that I felt Jesus really gave me through this verse that wasn't written to me, but was written for me, was that God had a plan. I want you to turn to your neighbour and say that God has a plan. God has a plan. And as I got my life on track following Jesus, I was commissioned and sent by my home church to Bible college. And uh, I had a great time, just felt this calling to ministry, but the plan went off the rails. You see, I soon realised that my plan and God's plan doesn't always align. And I noticed this in my prayer request. You know, when I would pray to God, as the Bible says, pray, say, ask, come with thanksgiving, ask and I will give you. I found in my asking, I was starting to give God advice. Have you ever done that? Like he doesn't know what he's doing. God, I would really love this. And, and if you do get that, maybe I like the, the blue car, you know, with the, the leather interior, the cream leather interior. And if it's your will, God, but make sure it's the cream leather interior. If it's your will, God, please give it to me. You see, we all have a plan. Even if you are the best Jesus follower, you do everything right, letter of the law, everything right. You will often come to crossroads in your life, as Becky spoke about a few weeks ago, where your plan and God's plan doesn't seem to align. You heard from Donald that we're waiting eight years for this grandbaby. Maybe the plan was year one, the grandbaby would come, maybe year two, maybe year four. But after this time of waiting, suddenly after eight years, the plan came to fruition. It wasn't Asa's plan or Claudine's plan, but it was God's plan. Proverbs 16:9 says this. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. One of the most dangerous things we are told in the 21st century today, particularly here in the West, is follow your heart. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Whatever you want, you go and get. Whatever it is that's inside you, you go and follow it. Be true to yourself. Have you heard that? Has everyone ever told you that? Be true to yourself. It's a famous line from a Shakespeare play called Hamlet. And the character who says that is Polynus. And do you know who Polynus was in Hamlet? He was the fool. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. We have made this a mantra that we would stick up on our doors, our windows, our bumper stickers on our car. Follow your heart. I want to tell you, church, if you follow your heart, you'll often end up in trouble. Jeremiah 17.9 says this about the heart. The heart is deceitful above all else. Why? Because the heart is the base of our feelings, our flesh, the Bible calls it. It's the place where our desires come. And what I found as a Christian trying to live the Jesus way, following the plan that Jesus has for my life and not that Mike Nichols or Rebecca Nichols or indeed my children now have for my life, is that my strongest desires are not always my deepest desires. My strongest feelings, my strongest emotions, the strongest pull that I feel in my body, my mind and my heart aren't all my, always my deepest desires. And I'll illustrate it like this. I've been slacking lately in my running. I went through a really, really good season. I was doing like 40 kilometres a week, like 25 miles a week. Now I'm doing about five miles a week, just completely slacking. And part of the problem with that is in my 10K running route around my house, I have to pass a Domino's, a pub called the Bumblebee, two Chinese restaurants and a chip shop. You see, I am running to get abs. I'm running to get fit. I'm running to 
to look good and feel good and feel healthy. But the last thing I want to do when I run past the chip shop and I run past Domino's and I run past the Chinese is have abs. The only thing I want is a sausage roll or a chow mein or a, a fish cake or just a little cone of chips. See, my strongest desires in those moments are not aligning to my deepest desires. And it's exactly the same with my faith. As I go in my day to day, I wake up and I dedicate my day to God. I get in the word of God to try and shape and form me. But as I walk through my days, and firstly, I encounter the most difficult thing to encounter in my life at the moment. That is my seven-year-old, my six-year-old and my two-and-a-half-year-old. My strongest desires to love them and keep them safe aren't always my, de- my deepest desires. See, my deepest desire is to grow them and, and shape them into the best men and women they can be. But sometimes my strongest desire is to tell them to shut up first thing in the morning when Peppa Pig is blaring through the house. The heart is an amazing thing, but it always needs to sit subservient to the king. Don't follow your heart, follow the king. Matthew 6.33 says, if you pursue God's righteousness, all these things will follow. A lot of us chase after the things that follow and want the righteousness to catch up. I've found in the moments of my life when I'm closest to God and I'm following his leading and his direction, everything else just seems to fall into place. The heart is important, yes. Our desires are important and they're God-given, yes. But we always need to make sure they sit subservient to the king. So make sure you follow his leading. How do you do that? How do you follow God's leading? Because he doesn't knock on your door at half five in the morning and give you directions for the day, does he? Mm. And if he does, I want your number because I'm coming to stay at your house. Mm. We have been given a gift in the word of God. And on Monday night, Abide, which if you're unfamiliar with is our prayer meeting this past Monday, Rachel Smith came and she showed us this picture. And the picture was, uh, I was going to say drawn, it was painted by a man called William Holman in the mid-1800s called Light of the World. And it's illustrated here, a verse in Revelation 3.20, where Jesus is standing at the door of a church and he's saying, I stand at the door and knock, let me come in and eat with you. But actually, Rachel took this picture and she said, for her, it represents more fully this verse in Psalm 119, verse 105, which says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And I love this painting here. Jesus is holding this little lamp. You see, we have been given a flashlight or a torch in the darkness of the world, uh, the world and it is the word of God. And what I love about this verse is the language it uses. It talks about the word of God being a lamplight. It's not sunlight. It's not a spotlight. It's not an LED light. It is a small lamplight. And as I just pondered on this word, as Rachel was stood here speaking on Monday, drew our attention to this verse, I just got caught on this word lamplight. You see, I believe God's word is like a lamplight because it helps us walk thoughtfully and intentionally. And it's not a floodlight that overwhelms and blinds. When I was in Northampton every week, I used to play football with a group of lads from church and uh, some friends and family members of some of the other lads playing. And we would go to this pitch. And in summer, it was great. You could see everything. But as you got into autumn and winter, they would have these floodlights light up the pitch. They were phenomenal unless you were trying to score a goal. I'd usually have Luke on my team because Luke's a goal hanger and he'd stand by the goal, pass the ball to Luke and it's straight in. You see, when I ran towards a goal, I'd never, ever seem to score. And I blame it not on my poor shooting technique. There was one floodlight stood behind the goal that absolutely used to blind you. 
You see, God's word isn't like that. If God were to reveal every single plan and purpose he had for your life in an instant, you would be completely overwhelmed. You'd be blinded. And actually, as I think back over my life, I'm so thankful that God hasn't answered yes to every prayer request that I've asked. This became apparent recently in Birmingham where I happened to walk past an ex-girlfriend who I prayed would one day be my wife. I thank God that he didn't answer my prayer and he brought Becky to me. That sounds awful, doesn't it? I hope she doesn't watch back on YouTube. (laughs) But you know what? As I said, some of those strongest desired moments where we are just praying and we're weeping, the Bible's talk sometimes about, sometimes we don't have words to put into fashion to, to, to our prayers. We're just groaning so deeply. Sometimes we look back and we thank God that he answered with a no or he didn't answer at all. Some of the things we pray for that we thought would make us happy would make us miserable in the future. And God's word acts as that lamplight. It doesn't show us the vista. It doesn't show us the horizon. It shows you your next step. And it makes you walk intentionally and thoughtfully. You've ever had a blackout in your house and you've got to use a torch or a candle? You have to be so intentional of where you place your feet because it only gives a small margin of light. We need to be using the word of God like this church, reorientating our hearts, our desires, our feelings, our emotion, line them up to the word of God and say, God, am I stepping left? Am I stepping right? Am I walking forward? Am I walking backwards? God, I give this day, I give this week, I give this year to you. So who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? I am a person that pleases the Lord. I'm a person with a plan, with a purpose. And thirdly, we are a people of promise. Now promise, it doesn't get me that excited sometimes. And I I think the reason is this, because I I thought about it. Why, Why, Lord, does the fact that I'm a person of promise and as a church collectively, we're a people of promise and I see your promises and I know that there's promises to come. Why does that not get me excited? And sometimes I fall out of love with the promises of God because I lose my childlike faith. See, our children, whenever they want to guarantee that we're going to do something, they'll be like, no, 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 you need to promise. Because they know if we can say, I promise, it's sealed. Isn't that right? It's like, Dad, will you, will you play on Minecraft with me? Yeah, in a bit, in a bit. No, 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 you have to promise. Because <laughs> if you can say it, that's it, you're locked in. And so we've kind of just stopped making promises that we're not sure we can keep. And sometimes we get like that in our faith. We just think, well, God isn't really making promises that, because I'm not really sure he can keep them. So I'm not going to keep asking. Sometimes as we get older in the natural, we experience broken promises. <clears throat> or things we thought would happen in our plan and our purpose that didn't come to pass things we thought we were called to sometimes they don't happen so then we're like oh god where where's your promises and we then start to lose that bit of our armor that makes us a person of promise what i've come to understand is that if i'm going to be a person of promise because that is my true identity i'm going to have to be a person of patience had to be a people of patience eight years before Theodora Fay came some of you you are in a moment of wait 
I'm going to ask the team to start to come back because we're going to finish off our sermon in song. Sometimes we get into moments where we are just waiting and we're waiting. When that becomes really long, we start to lose our promise identity. Are we ever going to see the promise? And the hard reality is this. Sometimes you will see promises on earth and some promises you will not see come to pass until he comes back to get us. But make no mistake, there are promises on this earth that you are going to attain because Jesus came that we'd have life to the full here and then. Sometimes we don't see every single promise. But I want to encourage you today to not stop being a person of promise. And sometimes we think that the waiting times, that the patient times, are only for we're in times of persecution. But I want to suggest to us that we have got to maintain a constant state of wait, a constant state of patience. Because while I'm here on earth, I'm constantly waiting for the King. I'm constantly waiting for the promise of His return. Constantly. And so I may experience breakthroughs and breakthroughs here on earth. There's still going to be times that I don't see every single breakthrough. And so I'm going to remain in a state of patience, in a state of waiting. I'll keep moving in the things of God. I'll keep moving in His purposes. But don't forget, you're a person of promise. And so you've got to regularly remember and remind yourself to just wait. I'm here to wait. Why are you not in a rush? Because I'm waiting. Why are you not trying to get that promotion? Because I'm waiting. Why are you not trying to rush? Why are you not really hung up about not being where everyone else is? Because I'm waiting. I'm waiting for something that's greater than me. I'm waiting for a life that is bigger than this life. I'm waiting. As the people of God, we have to be patient for the promises. We're a people of promise. We're a people of a greater hope. And so we wait. When was the last time I just dwelt? When was the last time I just lingered in his presence? That Joshua, he lingered in the tabernacle in the Bible. When Moses and everyone else, they went on to do the next thing. Joshua, he just waited for a moment where he lingered and he waited in the tabernacle in the presence of God. Are we pursuing his presence? It's when I get in those moments where I just wait, and I just be patient in his presence. That's when I begin to see again glimmers of the promise. That's when I begin to get back my childlike faith. Now, Becky, she mentioned there about when our children want us to do something, they make us promise. And it's like, it's like the top trump in our house, isn't it, as we said. And I think there's this aspect of, of being children of God. So verse 1 John 3, 2, it says, now we are children of God. I think as we grow up and 
life happens, we get the disappointments, we get the broken promises, the things we were attaining and looking for and chasing after, they seem to be hollow and thin. We just need to get back this wonderment, the wonder of the mystery. When I look at my kids, we go to a new place, a forest, they don't see trees and grass and dog mess. They see adventure, they see playhouses, they see battle forts. And sometimes we need to not lose the wonder of that childlikeness in our faith. Mm. It's different to being childish. It's not about being spoiled and moaning and having a fit and a strop. And that happens too in our house. You see, God calls us to have this wonder of the childlike. And as Becky said, we often find ourselves in a moment of waiting. Mm. It's really, really easy reading the scripture and seeing these amazing promises be fulfilled page after page after page. But what we need to remember between pages in the Bible isn't just minutes or seconds. Sometimes it's years. Sometimes it's generations. Abraham praying for Isaac. He was an old man, a hundred years old until he had the promise fulfilled that he was promised decades before. And some of us are holding on with white knuckles saying, God, why are you not showing up? Why are you not turning up? And God is saying, just wait, just wait. I wonder, church, if you can stand with us. The song we're going to sing is, uh, has been a real special one for Becky and I. And it was actually Jen back in April. Uh, I woke up on a Sunday morning and this, this song was in my Facebook messenger. And Jen said, you just have to listen to this song. And at the time I was going through this period of waiting. It was actually for some doctor results. And I was a bit anxious about it. And uh, so three weeks I was waiting for these results to come through. And that had some tests that were unclear. And this song, as I put it on, Jen said, just listen to it. It's like a 12-minute song, isn't it? It's, it's not a short song. We've got to be patient. 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 And I put this song on, put my earphones in, and I just felt tears coming, brimming in my eyes. And I don't know what season or place you're in. Everything might be absolutely fantastic, and that is great, and we celebrate with you. But maybe you were waiting for something. Maybe it's good stuff you're waiting for. Maybe it's bad things you're waiting for. Maybe you're in a period where you just don't know if you're turning left or right or going forwards or backwards and you just feel stuck. Well, our team are going to sing this song and the lyrics will come up on the screen. Don't just sing this, church. If you were in this situation, this wait period, this unclear grey area, let these words be a promise over your life. Declare them in faith and let's trust our following of Jesus that although we might not get everything we want in the moment, God is telling us to wait for a better purpose. So let's hand over to our team and we'll sing this song.